0: Hello there and welcome to episode 254 I hope that you guys are doing very well today If you are though struggling with OCD or anxiety then you can get a free session with me To get that you can head over to my website which is robertjamescoaching.com There you can use my Canonly to book that free session or if you prefer you can just drop me a message and let me know about what you're struggling with Now uh, in today's podcast if you're a fan of learning about uh, the science behind OCD then you're in for a real treat because I'm speaking with Dr. Anna Maria who is a psychologist uh, with a master's and doctorate in psychology and cognitive neuroscience currently working as a postdoctoral researcher at the University of uh, Hertfordshire Her work focuses on neural and behavioral markers of OCD She is passionate about science, communication and uh, founded the Instagram page at OCD Science. Um, I really recommend that you head over there and check out some some of the things that she's posting. Uh, She has lots of infographics uh, there about uh, science and OCD. Um, We actually get into all sorts of different things in today's conversation. Um, Dr. Anna Maria researches uh, different brain states in relation to, to OCD uh, she's researching uh, different approaches to uh, to helping people to respond differently to to compulsions um, and there's all sorts of other areas we kind of discuss of how uh, OCD is is actually a kind of type of habit that we uh, that we've learned over time and uh, fortunately you know we have the ability to to kind of change our brain through neuroplasticity and uh, relearn new habits and you know we kind of discuss, uh, that and Dr. Dr. Anna Maria actually kind of unpacks the science behind that, how we're actually able to do that. So, you know, there's a lot of ground that we we cover. Um, she's somebody you know who who cares deeply uh, about people who struggle with OCD and you know trying to find solutions and uncover you know how things work in the brain with OCD. So, I think this is a really uh, a really important episode and uh, as i said if you're interested in the science then i think it's going to be a really interesting one for you so many thanks guys um as always if you have any questions uh, do please let me know and i hope you enjoy hi dr Anne maria it's fantastic to have you onto the podcast welcome
1: thank you rob and thank you so much for the invitation i'm relieved Really happy to be here with you today.
0: That's really nice to have you on. So um, to start off with, can you just kind of tell us a a little bit about yourself, please?
1: Yeah, of course. So as some have probably figured out by the accent, I'm Brazilian.
2: (laughs) Um,
1: I moved to the UK about five years ago for my PhD studies. But in Brazil, I actually have an undergraduate in psychology, which... Because it's a five-year long course in Brazil, it actually allows you once you finish to see patients. So I did have my private office for about two years before moving here. I've also a master's in psychology, uh, psychology with cognitive neuroscience and behavioral psychology. And then moved to the UK to pursue my PhD at the University of Cambridge in psychology and cognitive neuroscience
0: fantastic so or uh, very uh, relevant i think to uh, to what we we generally talk about on this podcast um so that's great yeah very interesting and so you obviously research um o- o- ocd so why did you decide to to um start researching ocd so that's
1: a tricky one even as an undergraduate student i did pursue many different um academic interests, but I was always pushed towards um, psychiatric disorders and especially anxiety disorders. So for the last three three years of my undergraduate degree, I was working with the psychiatry department at the university, Mm. studying anxiety disorders in general. And at the time, I'm a little bit old, it seems, OCD was part of the anxiety disorders in the diagnostic statistic manual. It has now shifted its own cluster. So we did have some studies in OCD, but I wasn't focused at Lyon's here in OCD until I moved to the UK, where I started working with Professor Trevor Robbins, Mm. who is uh, a big name on neuroscience of OCD and Professor Naomi Feinberg who is also a big name but as a psychiatrist and a clinician so I was happy to have both views Mm. and they have largely influenced my my career but once I started studying OCD I was actually very um I became very passionate about it especially by seeing patients and seeing the the taboos that they were facing and how the, the disorder is misrepre- uh, misrepresented mm. in society and this strength to endure it all. So it's yeah. my lifetime goal to actually continue studying OCD.
0: Wow, yeah. <laughs> and you uh, you actually struggle with with anxiety yourself sometimes, you No, know, you, you mentioned to me.
1: Yes, yes. So I have been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, Hmm. long time ago. Um, I don't, if I try to diagnose myself, which you shouldn't do, by the way, (laughs) I don't think I fit the criteria anymore. But this is because I've been uh, on therapy and uh, taking medication as well. So, of course, generalized anxiety disorder and OCD are not the same thing. But we do share some some traits.
0: Yeah, absolutely. uh, Yeah yeah okay and um so one of the things that you're you're researching actually is um is related to to brain states and an OCD uh, we had a, a little chat about this the other day and I found it absolutely fascinating um could you tell us a, a little bit about that please
1: yeah of course so because oh, so, oh, I also had anxiety one of the things that always called my attention was that sometimes just thinking positive, or even just the cognitive psychology will not uh, be able to eliminate all of the problems because they are biological as well. And this is something that I find very important to tell uh, patients is that there are biological roots to your problems. So it's not your fault, as we don't blame someone that has diabetes, for example. Mm. So I decided to study the electricity of the brain. Now, it sounds much more complicated than it actually is, but our brain communicates through electric signals. So, by studying um, the EEG, which is the elect- electroencephalography, just place electrodes on the participants' scalp while they're doing a task, and we can see some markers of OCD. One that has been very published and is quite a robust one is called the error related negativity. So the ERN for short. Um, The ERN is basically an alarm signal in the brain. The way it works is researchers are still debating if it is a marker of conflict monitoring or cognitive control. But what it does, it's actually does monitor conflict and then requests cognitive control to prefrontal areas of the brain. So I always Give the same example as if you're playing a video game, for example, and you're there excited, you push a button, you didn't want to, and then your character jumps off a cliff, dies, and you do that. (gasps) That reaction is actually your brain saying, whoops, you've made a mistake. Adapt. Mm -hmm. And that's absolutely adaptive, right? You should have that. Imagine if you didn't monitor uh, your errors, because we need them to change course of action. Everyone has that, but in OCD, the whoops is like, whoops, danger, danger, danger. And it's a broken alarm that will monitor even the slight errors and it's constantly sounding uh, sounding loud. So it could be an explanation why people feel that I need to correct my actions, there's something wrong. It's just because that alarm is um, completely broken that makes sense
0: absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah so you've actually been able to to recognize um a a certain kind of brain state or pattern that that is associated with this kind of faulty alarm signal that is so often involved in ocd
1: exactly it's one that anxiety disorders share as well Mm. so should correct myself when I say broken it just means hyperactive it's not broken it's just working too much
0: yeah Um, yeah
1: and so I was focusing on this one because my first idea was if you could diminish this error alarm that would lead to a more peaceful state Mm.
2: uh,
1: for the for the patient and maybe less need for corrective actions which could be compulsions Mm. But then I realized something else. It seems that participants are trying not to make the errors, for example, uh, but the alarm is still there. So, and sometimes they will still make errors. So for instance, engaging in a compulsion could elicit this alarm because your brain is saying, you don't want to do that, stop. But the person still does it. So I thought, well, People with OCD are so averse to errors. Why are they still committing errors if they are aware of that? Because mm. insight can be uh, bad in OCD, but I've most of the times I've encountered patients with excellent insight of their of their compulsions.
2: Mm.
1: So it came to my mind that it was maybe more motor aspect of OCD, something that was uh, being elicited by the motor areas. Mm. So I decided to study another brain component, which is actually a very uh, interesting experiment when it was discovered. It was discovered by someone called Benjamin Lebe. And his experiment was the simplest on earth. People had the uh, electrodes on their head, same as I do. And their task was to press a button anytime they wanted. Mm. But there was a clock in front of them and they had to say what time The clock was showing when they decided to press the button. Simple like that. People would press and say, 10, 14, press the button. Hmm. So he would see from the moment the person pressed the button and go back on the the recordings of the electroencephalography Hmm. and realize that the motor signal, so the signal that said, hand, press button, occurred... 800 milliseconds before the person consciously decided to press the button. Right. So you can imagine the planet it created surrounding free will because then people were, so if I decided to press the button, but my brain had already told me to press the button, do I have a choice over my actions? <laughs> and it was yeah, later discovered that you still have a veto power and this works for simple tasks
0: but yeah, you can, it makes but sense, no, because um, when you have that urge to pick up a chocolate bar, um, <laughs> fortunately mm-hmm. you can overwrite that, but uh, sometimes it's difficult.
1: If you're not paying attention, or mm. if you yeah automatically do that, yeah, and that yeah. seems to be the root uh, of some compulsions. They mm. become so habitual that they are not. Being elicited consciously uh, anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I recognize
1: that. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, thank you for for confirming that. Yeah. So, what I try to do, but again, I must emphasize that to everyone this is all done in a lab, very preliminary research, but I I haven't been the only one to show that. Um, I thought maybe this hand go signal. the brain is stronger in ocd and that's why people are engaging the compulsions because the motor area is already sending the signal and then it's much more difficult to override it Mm. and we did find that actually that yeah this motor motor signal telling it to initiate action was enhanced in ocd Mm. so it just can be that yeah do the compulsion and then the person starts doing and then the other conflict monitoring signal says no no you don't want to do that danger but you still do it and that goes on the cycle <laughs>
0: yeah 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 okay yeah i think it's it's, it's very interesting and and you are pointing out there that you know the research that you're doing is obviously into um you know in, into the brain and the brain states but you as you pointed out the brain is actually you know, electric signals. This is how it it functions, Um, which I find, you know, very interesting because obviously we have neuroplasticity. um, Things are... I'm interested in what your opinion is on, you know, how much adaptability we have in these areas or how much potential we we, we have for for change. Um, Because... I mean, I know in myself, my, anecdotally, you know, that that I have been able to change. And, you know, unfortunately, for a long time, my habits were going in a negative direction where things were getting worse. I would do things uh, in a negative way, in a compulsive way, habitually more and more and more um, up until a certain point where I began to, to change, uh, you know, a, a long time ago now and you know, things, things did get better. And I feel like I've picked up these new new habits. Um, what what do you think about that?
1: You can definitely change. So that's the the silver lining of it. Mm. Yes. Of course, when you say it's biological, sometimes people may feel like, okay, so there's nothing I can do. Please Mm -hmm. don't take that, that message from what I said. So of course, your brain learns certain pattern of behaviors. Hmm. But it can unlearn that and learn others. So even the electric signals, they will be elicited also by neurotransmitters. And the neurotransmitters, they have their um, synapse. So the synapses where they attach to, let's say it's their house. Each neurotransmitter goes to a house.
2: Hmm. If you
1: start changing uh, the volume of neurotransmitters, then less neurotransmitters need houses so the houses (laughs) if that's making any sense will disappear so the brain is able to say oh no we changed behavior here so now i am not going to provide uh this brain signal anymore because it's not being necessary
2: Mm. so
1: you are completely um plastic in that way, able to, to adapt the brain. Yeah. And habits change. It's going to the gym, it's eating healthier. In the beginning, it's difficult because the brain is still asking for that same old pattern of behavior. So it still has that those recipients of neurotransmitters asking for someone there. But with time, yeah. I, I, I explained it very weirdly. but No, <laughs> but no, time, no. You, <laughs> it's,
0: it's good, it's good
1: oh thank you yeah with time it realizes that okay no one's going to come to this uh, receptor Mm. anymore so i'm Mm. going to dismiss it and then create other patterns so you can definitely override habits
0: yeah yeah it's really it's really interesting and um i know for a fact actually with with myself and and uh, some of my clients that i've worked with that initially the change is, is difficult and i think you know you're giving the technical reason for why it's um sometimes when we try to do something different uh in terms of maybe doing uh, exposure work or or just trying to you know to not do a compulsion mm-hmm. um you know we we end up getting more anxiety initially because we're trying to change the the behavior but over time it does get easier
1: yeah exactly those receptors are screaming for for the behavior to happen and so that they are fulfilled mm. but and that's why exposure is the most important and powerful tool that we have uh, for OCD mm. this is something that I'd like to emphasize because in my own experience in cognitive therapy so that's why we still include CBT is absolutely important learning to interpret and to recognize these functional beliefs hmm. and why you're doing certain things while waiting evidence but to change these biological processes the brain needs behavior yeah so it is still so people may feel frustrated but i know i shouldn't be doing that and i'm still doing it yes because just thinking is not enough you do have to train yourself behaviorally
0: Mm, yeah well actually oftentimes the thinking is is the problem
2: exactly Mm.
0: Mm. yeah okay Mm. brilliant and from your from your research so far then have you have you been able to identify any interesting or or new approaches that people might be able to take to, to quieten down these um, unhelpful brain messages that they're, they're, or brain signals that they're getting?
1: So again, very preliminary, still a uh, laboratory setting, but we seem to have been able to prove that engaging competing responses, um, competing motor responses may alleviate some compulsions. I think we were mentioning that the other day, sometimes themes of OCD change. So we think that, of course, the theme is absolutely important, but the fact that they change shows that there's actually a core inhibitory control deficit in OCD. And I'm gonna mention a little bit later about another study that I've done with suppression of memories and thoughts. (laughs) So this inhibitory control uh, deficit is your brain saying, please do something, engage in a compulsion, which then can be it p- could be harm, it could be contamination, it could be something related to to checking or to um, ordering. But they will all be this this need this urge. So I was particularly interested in urges. And it seems that engaging in a similar, not similar, but a ritualized mutual behavior can actually diminish the signal. So we introduced a mobile application to participants where they had to learn finger tapping sequences that was akin to learning how to play the piano. Mm. So six sequences, it was important, it was ritualized. So you had to be trained like the exact same fingers, the same order multiple times a day. And the surprising effect of that is that participants started reporting lower uh, symptoms of anxiety and less compulsions. And it was, wow, that's interesting. Why is that happening? And then when I monitor, measured their brain waves before and after training with the mobile application, we actually fo- uh, saw that this motor signal was uh, diminished. So it seems to have satisfied the motor circuitry. Let's say you're hungry, but instead of eating cake, I give you carrots. Mm. <laughs> okay, yeah. I satisfied. You're, you're not hungry anymore, <laughs> but now you're less... Uh, unhealthy because you're not eating cake
0: yeah (laughs) yeah absolutely Mm. yeah yeah
1: so in the future we want to see if we can introduce this so this is part of the habit reversal treatment we then associated that to cbt and that was particularly helpful and Mm. to exposure but we are aiming for more to developing more mobile applications that could help hmm. with with OCD symptoms. But this was the big finding.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So effectively it's it's kind of replacing an unhealthy, unhelpful habit with, with something, with something else.
1: Something that's a little bit more helpful. Now I know yeah. a lot of people would be upset that we're just replacing mm. but this as a first step was important to see okay we can replace so mm. that's good you're not completely attached to the to the compulsion mm. and once we learn the mechanisms then it's easier to develop new strategies so if at some point you could replace that with exercise or a new mm. habit that you want to
0: there we go learn, yeah yeah
1: then that's good. So
0: Absolutely.
1: I, I know a lot of patients yeah, listening here would be okay, but what about treatment? But as a basic researcher, as we call it, like, first we need to understand the mechanisms, otherwise, we cannot develop um, effective treatments for the, for the disorders. So mm. this seems to be a, a promising one, at least, to deal with the urges.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting on, you know, from a practical standpoint, um, you know, it's great if you if you can replace a very unhelpful uh, and difficult compulsion with with something that actually is going to be a positive influence, like meditation or exercise or something else. um, You know, that that's great. Obviously, I guess it's also the, the quality of how you do that thing. Exactly. Um, yeah.
1: So we did find that the brain needs ritualized rigid behaviors to, to satisfy that urge. So it had to be something similar to a compulsion in those parametri- uh, parameters, parameters. Mm. So that's why we had this this hand um this finger tapping sequences. Mm. Because um, originally, one of my first ideas for the PhD was studying rituals in athletes and rituals and compulsions in OCD. Mm. Because in athletes, they seem to work by reducing anxiety and they actually boost performance. But in OCD, we know the compulsions tend to lead to increased anxiety. So in one group, it's helping. In the other group, it's not. Mm. So why is that? And then had to understand the whole rituals in athletes are voluntary and they are done for the purpose of reducing anxiety whereas compulsions they can be done automatically as habits Mm. and that's when the brain is dysfunctional
0: okay okay yeah it's interesting i mean sometimes for example you see in in football goalkeepers uh tapping the goalposts in in certain ways and things like that
1: yeah but they are very specific to situations Mm. and they're absolutely conscious and uh, voluntary
0: yeah yeah okay it's it's really interesting um what would you say has been the most kind of interesting or surprising uh thing that you've you found out from your from your research into OCD
1: Mm, wow that's yeah also a good one well, one of the things that was most interesting was this conflict monitoring, the alarm signal.
2: Hmm.
1: Because for a long time it was associated to actually the higher the the alarm, the more symptoms um, of us, the, the more severe the OCD. And we do know, and I proved that again, that this alarm is high in OCD compared to people with no OCD. But I ended up with a group that was very severe. The OCD symptoms were very severe. And another group of patients with OCD whose symptoms were not as severe. So they were, of course, they were diagnosed with OCD, but they were managing it quite well. And when I measured the brainwaves of both these groups, I found out that the group that was managing the symptoms more optimally actually had a high alarm signal. And that was very surprising. I thought, oh my god, this PhD is ruined because I found Mm. something very weird. Mm. (laughs) But (laughs) thank god, other people had found that before me. And I was not completely wrong. It seems that because this alarm is actually requesting cognitive control. I use the analogy of a general, of an army, and they're in the battle and they're losing the battle. Mm. So the general starts screaming, help, help, we need some more, we need reinforcement. Mm. And then the rest of the brain hears that and sends more support, so it sends more troops. Mm. So the general that screamed louder received the troops, so the signal that um, appeared louder received support from the prefrontal cortex. The other group, the general, is screaming, but it's almost as if the general has given up already, so it's like, help, help. It's loud, but it's not enough for the rest of the brain to hear it. Mm. So it seems that actually this alarm signal was protecting patients in some sort of way by asking for help and receiving help. So these patients were more able to deal with daily tasks and just have lower um, symptomatology of OCD and depression especially. Whereas the other group was very very severe um, symptoms, so this was a surprising one: the the ability of the brain to actually uh, remediate the action.
0: Yeah, it's very interesting. So, so some people, uh, it it seems like from from what this research is indicating, it it, it seems like the 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 message is going off the general mm. or the the message from the brain hey i need this uh there's something wrong there's something bad or i need extra support um but in in one group of people uh they're getting that support and these these are the high achievers no you mentioned mm-hmm. the people who but in the other group the people who are maybe struggling more with ocd maybe they're stuck at home and they're a little bit more overwhelmed by it shall we say um they're the alarms going off, the general shouting, but they're not getting the resources that they need.
1: Exactly. So the general mm. shouting just a little bit lower than the other one. Okay. And so that was surprising because we did think like the louder the signal, the more symptoms or the more overwhelmed by OCD symptoms. But it was actually the opposite. Uh, mm. The relationship. So the louder the signal, actually more help you received. Mm. And symptomatology was kept in control. Yeah. Let's say. And then they those were you know, the ones that struggled less.
0: Yeah. Wow, it's so, really uh, really interesting.
1: Yeah, that was an interesting one. And also because I was interested in urges and also intrusions on inhibitory control of thoughts as well. Mm. We had another experiment where we were just testing two groups, one group of people with OCD and the other of people without OCD and their ability to suppress memories. So we we're introducing competing memories. So let's say you learn the word carrot and now I introduced tomato to replace carrot, they're still in the same category of vegetables, but I introduced tomatoes. It's more complicated than that, but
2: <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: interestingly uh, enough, and there has been um, other research showing that people without OCD actually replace it because you insisted so much the that, that replacing carrot for tomato that people end up forgetting carrot. So they are able to inhibit memories. But in patients with OCD, they would just not forget anything. So the inhibitory control goes to the ability to inhibit thoughts as we know from obsessions as well. So what we actually found is that this inhibitory control difficulties are general general domain in in OCD. and They go both for obsessions, And so I can on control of thoughts and actions. So obsessions and compulsions might in the end have the same roots, and they'll be related to to control.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, that's really interesting as well that, um, you know, because sometimes you can kind of ask, you know, what comes first, the obsession or the compulsion? We don't know. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, and, you know, it's really uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, about about your research, because, you know, obviously it's uh, I'm I'm really happy to know that there's people like you out there uh, finding out so much about how OCD actually works in the brain and and how these how these uh, uh, alarm systems work. And obviously, you know, we're beginning to piece the puzzle together. And I'm sure in the future, it's going to have, you know, a big, significant uh, payoff um, for people who are struggling. So it's great that you're out there doing this, uh, doing this work. Uh, So thank you for that. Um, And um, I I guess I I wanted to ask one more one more question. Um, If if you only had one piece of advice for people who might be struggling with OCD and anxiety, um, what would that advice be?
1: I guess I would say be hopeful. I know it's difficult, but what I can promise you from my research is that there are hundreds of researchers up there all over the world, and we are all studying OCD and trying to find not only the mechanisms, but treatment as well. I personally am involved in three uh, clinical projects so we are there, you're not forgotten. Be hopeful because we'll, we'll get there.
0: Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's fantastic. It's a great message to, to finish with. <laughs> um, and uh, Dr. Anna Maria, Thank you <laughs> so much for your time. It's been wonderful to, to have you on. If, if people wanted to, to know more about you and your and, and your research, what can they what can they do?
1: Oh, thank you so much, Robert really been amazing to be here I do have an Instagram page where I try to explain in my uh, kind of silly way of explaining things <laughs> about <No>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the science of OCD so it's called uh, OCD science and then you see there are many posts about yeah research basic mechanisms and so it's all about what we know scientifically about OCD
0: that's great that's great. Okay, well, thank you so much for for coming on. It's been it's been brilliant.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. It's Very very nice to be here.
0: Just a quick reminder that if you want to get a free session, all you need to do to get that is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com and there you can leave me a message and we can arrange the uh, free session. And now just a quick reminder